The Murder Shelf Book Club contains disturbing content related to real-life crimes. Listener discretion is advised. I asked Jane to talk about surviving rape victims. What does she now do to help other survivors? Well, she replied, The first thing I want to tell them is that they're going to be okay. They definitely don't want to give the rapist any more control over them. They need to get rid of their guilt and to realize that this is not their fault. That rape is about power and control. They need to believe they can get rid of all this baggage. They have survived. They are going to recover and they are going to thrive. From She Survived-Jane by M. William Phelps Well, welcome to the Murder Shelf Book Club podcast. I am your host, Jill. This is episode 82, second cast, Sister Survivors, from Frozen in Fear, the true story of surviving the shadows of death by Jane Carson Sandler, part three. I hope St. Valentine's Day was filled with love for spouses, partners, family, and friends. Hubby and I stayed in. I made some lobster ravioli and we had a nice glass of wine, and it was a perfect pairing, I assure you. Alrighty, announcement. Key the drum roll. I am on Podcast Row again at CrimeCon 2024 in Nashville, May 31st to June 2nd, 2024. And if you need your ticket, you can save 10% using my code, all lowercase letters, MURDERSHELF one word, and I hope to help make CrimeCon more affordable for you. I am going to try to set up a meeting for my murder bookies after I see what the schedule looks like and I maybe find a location. Uh, It probably will be the bar. We had such a great time last year, and I will be wearing my Murder Shelf Book Club t-shirt, of course, so I will see you there, murder bookies. It's coming up fast. I can't wait. I also have to share that your feedback on the Jane Carson Sandler story, Frozen in Fear, has been so welcomed, so heartfelt, so thank you. I appreciate it. I see you as you hear me. In Part 2, Episode 81, we learned of Jane's many struggles, some physical, with death casting its shadow upon her, and her battle with alcoholism, this desire lifted by the miracle of God. We also heard the voices of the other East Area Rapist rape victims, whose lives were devastated, turned upside down, and who took their control back from Joseph D'Angelo, who will sit in prison 23 hours a day for the rest of his miserable life. More of their stories are coming up as I continue our deep dive into Jane Carson Sandler's book and life. No surprise here, but you really need to read the book. Seriously, read this one. In 2019, a year after the arrest of the East Area Rapist slash Golden State Killer, 
As the case worked its way through the judicial system, Jane Carson Sandler was interviewed for Pink Magazine, where she commented on the societal change regarding rape with her 43-year lens. Jane said, quote, We are only sick as our secrets. Today, women are coming forward, but not enough. It's really important to report your crime to the police, but also to share it with someone who cares, who validates you, who actually hears you and doesn't brush you off. And when you tell your story, that inspires someone else to tell theirs. You have to turn your mess into a message and your pain into power. End quote. So I've seen some of these societal changes as well, and I agree wholeheartedly with Jane. She is right. And whether coincidence or divine plan, just about now other East Area Rapist victims began speaking up. It was time. Fifty women were raped and traumatized by Joe D'Angelo and their families devastated in this nightmare. Now, I can't delve into everyone's story, but I'm going to share some of them with you. Phyllis Henneman was the very first victim of the East Area Rapist, and in her victim impact statement, read for the record by her sister, Karen Veo, quote, Life as I knew it irrevocably changed that day. The devil incarnate broke into our home, blindfolded me, tied me up, and threatened my life with a knife and raped me. That once happy girl became fearful, suspicious, hypervigilant. My sense of safety was shattered. The ringing of the telephone invoked terror, afraid I would hear his voice again when he called to taunt me, as he did in January 1978. When I found out that this devil had been captured, I felt relief, but his capture brought about a rush of memories of the rape. But the roles have now reversed. His victims and their families are now free, and no more freedom for him. I am not what happened to me. I am what I chose to become. End quote. Powerful, powerful. Another victim who came forward was Peggy Rex raped on July 17, 1976, when she was just 15 years old. Both she and her sister, Susan Peterson, were tied up so tightly by ear, as a result, they dealt with numbness in their hands for months and months afterwards. They were not the only ones who suffered with this either. Leaving Susan in her bedroom, ear bashed Peggy's head so badly she had difficulty brushing her hair for a long time. Peggy has said, quote, I am thankful that I was able to move on and have a pretty normal life. I have a husband, two children, and three grandchildren. Somehow, by the grace of God, I have found some way to forgive my rapist. The forgiveness is for me, for my peace of mind. Mr. D'Angelo was arrested, and I only went to one hearing before June because I didn't want to waste any energy allowing Mr. D'Angelo to take up much space in my head. He is a horrible man, and he is going to prison. End quote. I hear her echoing Jane's message on forgiveness, something I heard a few times in doing this research. And I did also hear some survivors declare that they would never forgive him. So recognize that this is a highly individualized choice with no rights or wrongs. Peggy Rex also spoke of her efforts to keep a rape trauma counseling center open 
when funding issues arose in 2009. She came up with the idea of the first Feast for Weave fundraiser and organized what has now become an annual event. So wait, what is Weave? Weave was founded in 1978 and is a California-based 501c3 nonprofit, which has done very commendable work helping victims and educating the public about sexual assault. There is a link on my blog if you want to support this valuable program for women. Susan Peterson was tied up tightly, her hands going numb. But Susan was not raped, but lost her innocence that terrible night as well. Gagged, threatening to kill her, he ripped the phone out of the wall. Susan, who hadn't previously spoken, chose to speak at his sentencing, sharing the questions that still run through her mind every night when her head hits the pillow. Are the windows and doors shut and locked? Oh, should I check again? Is the alarm set? Is the phone by the bed so I can call 911? In spite of the terrible fear and trauma, Susan graduated from high school and college, excelling. She went on to have a successful career with good friendships, including that with the love of her life, to whom she's been married for 22 years. On learning that Ear had been captured, Susan just couldn't believe it. Bittersweet, she was enveloped in a sense of dread, relief, and saw the glimmer of justice. She has moved forward, living a happy and fulfilling life. He did not have the last word. This event did not define her life, nor her willingness to embrace all the good things that life presented to her over the decades. Her gratitude for living and thriving is immense, and I applaud both Peggy and Susan for your resilience and never giving up. Linda O'Dell was raped by the East Area Rapist on May 14, 1977. Newlyweds, she and her husband had just bought their first home in Citrus Heights. Originally from Ohio, they had heard of the rapes, but Linda had the impression it never happened when husbands were home and really wasn't sure where all these towns were all over California. All right, I've been living in Pennsylvania for 10 years and I still have that happening to me, so I can understand what she's talking about. But still, the Odells took security measures and replaced the door locks. But at 2 a.m., the blinding flashlight woke them up, followed by tying the couple up, causing her husband's hands to go numb. Incapacitating her husband with dishes placed on his back, the rapist warned he'd cut off her husband's ear if he heard anything, demanding, Be quiet or be killed. He raped Linda several times, pausing to ransack the kitchen and to have a beer. Afterward, Linda O'Dell focused on healing and said, quote, Thank God I survived it. He has a plan for me, and I want to live the best life I can. End quote. Forty years later, on that morning in April of 2018, O'Dell received a call from Detective Carol Daly, who told her that his suspect had been arrested. She was greatly relieved exhaling a breath she hadn't realized she was holding. In an interview with Oxygen, Linda said, quote, I want other women to not feel shame, to feel that we do have empathy today. I want people that are raped to go to the hospital and to report it, and for them to know that they could live a wonderful life and be strong, end quote. She went on to have a family, two sons now grown to manhood, living productive and successful lives. Linda is now a grandmother, proud of her precious granddaughter, 
and she's had a lifelong love affair with German shepherds, having raised five from puppyhood. Love the puppy stories. 13-year-old Margaret Wardlow loved true crime even back then, reading everything that she could put her hands on about the East Area Rapist. With everyone on edge, her mom assured her that she was too young to become a victim of that despicable man. But Ear was far more worse than her mom realized. On November 10th, 1977, exactly that happened. Which, by the way, happens to have been the D'Angelo's wedding anniversary. All right, that is truly twisted. Waking to a body standing over her with a flashlight and gloves, quote, I knew at that moment this is the East Area Rapist, end quote, thought Margaret. From her reading the newspaper, she knew what was going to happen, calmly assessing that she had an advantage. As she grew angry and defiant, the scrappy young teen that she was, quote, how many rape victims in this sort of situation with an unknown attacker have a dossier written about their attacker? My instinct said, don't let him see a sweat, end quote. When he threatened to kill Margaret's mother, she defiantly shrugged it off with a, I don't care, succeeding in frustrating the hell out of him as she denied him the fear that he thrived on, that he needed, and eventually he fled the scene. She also noticed that her dog was not particularly disturbed by the stranger in their home, and later wondered if he had been previously at her house and won over the dog. Well, we know it's pretty likely now that he did just that. And luckily, the dog survived, because D'Angelo wasn't fond of dogs. He was fired from the Auburn Police Department for shoplifting, dog repellent. What an idiot. Over 40 years later, an elated Margaret Wardlow heard of the arrest, calling it, quote, the most beautiful phone call, end quote. At CrimeCon 2018, held barely two weeks later, she told the audience she, quote, never really put my life on hold. I never looked over my shoulder. I knew he never came back, end quote. Well, good for her. Two years later, she commented, quote, I think some women have this experience and it can ruin the rest of their life. And they identify so much with it that it infiltrates every aspect of their living and you don't live your life. It never defined me, end quote. Margaret went on to marry, becoming the mother of a daughter, and making her career in her family's wine business. She believes she has been extremely lucky. Margaret was in her 40s when she was diagnosed with a mood disorder. And she does wonder, did this childhood trauma play a role in this development? Well, we know that the environment, hence the trauma, can trigger previously dormant genes. So, maybe. Now, Jane Carson Sandler and Margaret Wardlow also shared a few more things about Joseph D'Angelo at CrimeCon 2018. Seeing him in that wheelchair, trying to garner sympathy, looking weak and frail, Jane wanted to take that roast he was cooking when arrested and smash him over the head with it. I would have loved to have seen that, actually. Margaret expressed satisfaction in not giving her attacker what he wanted most, the fear. And she credits meeting Jane Carson Sandler and Debbie Domingo, the daughter of slain Sherry Domingo, with changing her life 
Survivors Empowering Other Survivors Through Friendship and Positivity. Debbie Domingo went on to say that they would pray for D'Angelo's family. She imagines that D'Angelo, quote, was no picnic to live with, end quote, expressing empathy for his family members. Fast forward to 2020, after victim impact statements concluded, D'Angelo stood up on his feet, no wheelchair needed now, you pathological liar, and said he was sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, retired detective and scientist Paul Holes knows how this guy thinks, and he said this, rising up rather than fragilely leaning into the mic was an F.U. to the survivors and the victims' families. Paul Holes was downright offended, as I was, and so many of us watching. Paul also shared how emotionally draining it was for him listening to the impact statements, so he couldn't quite internalize how these brave souls were making these statements and how they were going to get through it. He spoke of one survivor, Michelle, who said during the rape, that he had told her he'd seen her at the lake, which immediately sent her mind whirling. When? Where at the lake had he seen me? As a consequence, she could never go water skiing again, this joyful aspect of her life lost forever. But Michelle still went on to live her authentic life according to her own terms and not those that her rapist tried to dictate. Joanne Meow and her husband were attacked in their Santa Clara home on December 2, 1978, with D'Angelo threatening to shoot them. I will spare you all the details, which we know too well at this point. During her victim impact statement, Joanne Niao said that during the rape, she kept repeating to herself, quote, You are not going to get me. You are not going to get me. End quote. If D'Angelo thought the assault had broken her, It had not. She survived and she came through it with confidence and endurance and hasn't let fear dictate her life. Quote, you're just one of those weak, powerless men who use your physical strength to hurt women. End quote. Her husband spoke for his beloved wife, Kathy, whom he met a year after she was assaulted. Quote, little Joe D'Angelo did not destroy her life as he tried to do so many others, end quote. He and Kathy have celebrated a life of love, and they chose to make each day count for something better, to love, laugh, and enjoy their lives, quote. She's overcome this painful encounter, and we look forward, not backward. Faced with the choice to become resentful and bitter, she loves and cares for others, end quote. And he observed that D'Angelo's own family are his final victims, his wife, his daughters, his granddaughter, the pain he has brought to them, unbearable. And quite a few victims alluded to this, so I did want to point it out. Gay Hardwick was assaulted in 1978 in the home she shared with her husband, Robert. She was violated in multiple ways, and he stole gold rings that had been given to her by her brother. Her home ransacked, he threatened her with death, leaving her tied up on a hardwood floor in front of an open door, freezing. Robert Hardwick spoke as well. His feelings of helplessness, unable to do anything to help his wife. 
but they decided not to let D'Angelo define their lives, and Robert has lovingly supported Gay when she occasionally suffered anxiety and panic attacks. Mary Burworth was 13 when she was sexually assaulted by the East Area Rapist in her family home. In telling her protective dad what happened, he broke, quote, It ripped out his heart. I was his little daughter. No one, 13 years old, should have to find out what a rape kit is, end quote. And after a decade of no communication, Mary Burward called Paul Coles on hearing her rapist was arrested, with Paul assuring her that yes, yes, this is the guy, no question, as she began to sob for joy. Her father had died of a heart attack three years after she was assaulted, so her father would now feel vindicated that this pervert was locked up forever. In Mary's statement, she alludes to using alcohol as a coping strategy, but she's overcome that now, and it is in the past. When she learned D'Angelo was admitting to her crime, a huge weight lifted, much like Jane's backpack. Mary had no idea how heavy this burden was until it was gone. Quote, Finally, I can go forward. I have the justice I have been waiting for for so long. I have a full second half of my life ahead of me, and I am here. End quote. Paul Holes commented that he's witnessed the woman Mary has grown into, brave, powerful, commanding. Mary added, quote, How dare you come into my room, a little girl's room, with rainbows and unicorns, a 13-year-old girl, end quote. So add pedophile to this list of descriptors for this piece of crap. Gladys R. was in court that day, recalling December 9, 1978, when she was bound, blindfolded, and raped. Quote, Forty-plus years later, it is now you that is shackled and handcuffed, powerless, with no control over your life. You left me blindfolded. Today, my eyes are wide open, and I see you for the monster you are. You took my driver's license but you did not take my identity. You took my jewelry, but you did not take anything of real value. You did not take my resilience, my strength, my friends, or my family. Here I stand. I survived and thrived because of the love and support of friends and family. End quote. I applaud Gladys. Let that monster have it. He is vanquished. John Doe number 9 also spoke, husband of Jane Doe number 10. I did want to make sure I included some male perspectives here, and he spoke volumes. From the attack on them in October 1978, he, quote, struggled with personal guilt of, should I have done more to protect my wife, our family? Was I a coward for not responding more aggressively, unpredictably? Or was I an example of self-control? Discipline, doing what I needed to do moment by moment to stay alive and keep my family alive. Why wasn't I more observant of my surroundings? Why couldn't I remember the license plate of the vehicle on the side of the house? We struggled as a couple and nearly lost our marriage. We were two wounded people attempting to find a way to heal and support and love each other when each was trying to reconcile their own angers, fears, emotional, and physical trauma. 
hoping to close this terrible chapter in our lives. We were committed and determined not to let these hours of October 1978 define who we were and what we were to become. With continued work and with the temperature of time, the pain was not as intense and we were able to continue with what I consider to be a healthy and normal life. How blessed we are to be alive. End quote. John Doe, I understand all of that questioning and self-wonder, and I'm so glad that you and your wonderful wife have gotten through this after this terrible thing happened. Now, I promise to circle back to Bonnie, the ex-fiancé of Joseph D'Angelo, who came to the public's consciousness after his arrest with no warning to Bonnie. Now, she is forever tied to the Golden State Killer, whom she rejected, breaking their engagement. The sad irony is that Bonnie didn't seek any of the attention she's received. Nor was she allowed to speak at D'Angelo's sentencing. She attended as a guest of Jane Carson Sandler, and Jane gave Bonnie voice. Jane said, quote, Joe, as just a teenager 50 years ago, she broke her engagement when she realized you had become manipulative and abusive. When you thought you could kidnap her and force her to marry you, even a gun pointed at her face could not make her choose you. When she saw who you really were, she was done with you. I can see that I hate you, Bonnie, was a result of your frustration because you lost control over her. But she bears none, none of that responsibility for your violent choices. When you are wheeled away to begin your sentence, you'll return in Bonnie's life to that forgotten and insignificant place, gone from her life forever. Amen. End quote. And the coward D'Angelo never looked up, with Bonnie sitting next to Jane. Brave, resolute, when Jane Carson Sandler attended D'Angelo's first court appearance, she found that the trauma still lingered deep inside. They were about to bring him into the courtroom in a cage when Jane, who has never broken down and has always been composed in all of her many speaking engagements, suddenly began to sob uncontrollably. All the pain, all the rage, all the thirst for revenge that she had worked so hard to put behind her came flooding back. The man she thought she had forgiven was once again the monster whose face she wanted to rip apart. Sitting next to Jane was her sister survivor, Debbie Domingo, and she wrapped her arm around Jane and said, quote, I'm putting the armor of God around you. This is your moment, and I want you to be in it, end quote. Well, it worked. Snapped out of it, instantly, the tears stopped. Jane regained composure and was able to look her attacker in the face after 42 years. Jane's turn came, speaking the word she had thought about, revised, edited for 42 years, she began. She reminded D'Angelo of what he had done to her and her son the day he broke into their home. Ski mask, knife to the chest, threats to kill, tearing sheets, being tied up and blindfolded. But her attention wasn't on the rape. It was where her son was. And this terrible trauma, it brought Jane to find the Lord. So she concludes, 
it was worth it. She put D'Angelo in his place and acknowledged his tiny penis. Good for her. Quote, I may have been one of your victims, but I am now a survivor thriver and have led a great life. I put fears aside and finished my nursing degree at Cal State in the year of your attack, and I spent 30 years in the Air Force achieving the rank of colonel. I turned my pain into power, my mess into a message. I have a loving husband of 26 years and two amazingly successful sons, so you didn't destroy my life. I am proud of what I've accomplished. I am blessed beyond words. Our wounds heal, but the scars remain. Everyone has traumas, and something like this is going to be there the rest of my life. But thanks to the Lord, I have been given the strength to get through it. I'm not sorry this happened to me, because it's given me a chance to help others. That has become my mission. End quote. Bravo, Jane. Ugh, yeah, you did good. And Jane continues to reach out to all of the women he raped, as well as others, and the families and friends of those he viciously murdered, as well as her rapist's former wife, children, and grandchildren, who did not deserve any of this painful scrutiny. While Sharon Huddle and her daughters have not spoken about this, Joe D'Angelo's older sister, Rebecca Thompson, did. Speaking to the Sacramento Bee right after his arrest, she said, quote, As stunned as I am, because I've never seen him display any kind of madness or anything like that. I just can't believe it. I've never seen anything to allow myself to think he could do such things. End quote. For more insights into this monster's family life, I also read the book Killers Keep Secrets, The Golden State Killer's Other Life by his brother-in-law, Sharon Huddle's brother, James Huddle. I am glad I read it, and the normalcy is the scariest part. But there were little signs here and there, and again, it is a very worthy read. Their family was torn apart by the crimes of Joe D'Angelo, and they are the final victims of this pervert. None escaped his wake untouched. Now, some of this information was new to me. At CrimeCon 2023, the sister survivors, Jane Carson Sandler, Margaret Wardlow, and Debbie Domingo, were reunited five years after the arrest. As they were sharing insights and updates, moderator Paul Hulls, who was deeply involved with the DNA analysis of Ear, who then morphed into the Golden State Killer, explained that when he was arrested, the statute of limitations of the 50 rape cases had passed, so he could not be charged with these crimes, which is horrifying, right? So why there is a statute of limitations on rape, I will never know, and I hope legislators have updated these laws, because that is their job. With all the new DNA analysis, this should long be on the books, but I would check with your state representatives, murder bookies. But anyway, Paul Holtz explains that an innovative prosecutor out of the Contra Costa's DA's office, Paul Grays, adopted a different way to view these crimes. As the Penal Code defines robbery as taking someone's personal possessions under force, and kidnapping as taking or moving someone against their will, since D'Angelo broke into homes, demanded money, took items while threatening to kill, that is robbery. 
And quite often, he would tie them up. Remember, he put dishes on their backs of, of husbands and other people in the home and then move the victim to another room to rape her. This moving someone against their will, that is kidnapping. So when appropriate, these cases could be and were charged against him. Over two years after his arrest, Joseph James D'Angelo would plead guilty to 13 cases of first-degree murder and 13 robbery and kidnapping charges, admitting what he had done on the record. Paul Holes described how six different prosecutors, representing the different counties where the crimes occurred, read in detail each crime he was charged with, what he did to each victim, and it was emotionally ruling, taking several days. And then this was followed by the victim impact statements, some of which I have shared for you. I have to pause to reflect. After decades had passed of wondering who this unknown person was, then the arrest, and then two years of judicial bureaucracy doing its job, to finally come face to face, even if it was behind a mask due to the pandemic, but to be face to face with this evil SOB who hurt you, raped you, terrorized, killed. I can't fathom the scope of this. Paul Hall said that he had been listening to statements and happened to have exited the large conference room where this was occurring because the courthouse wasn't big enough to accommodate all the social distancing. He saw a victim who had just testified, who had just spoken, collapse in the arms of her family. The emotional toll was so great. So my heart aches, but I am so thankful for them being able to have their day in court and knowing he would never ever hurt anyone again. Now, Paul Hulse also brought up something that I hadn't quite really considered. I think it had skidded across the periphery of my consciousness, but it really hadn't hit home until he said this. D'Angelo interacted with these children during the rape. Recall he blindfolded and gagged Jane's son, Paul, who was three at the time. How scary was it? or a small child, or even an older one who could understand more of what was happening. They are as much victims as their parents were. The levels of hurt and damage done by this terrible man is just staggering. Debbie Domingo has often spoken about the impact of losing her mother, Sherry Domingo, at age 15. She described how she did a slow spiral down, which lasted 10 or 15 years when she was lost in depression, drugs, and homelessness. She is grateful to have pulled herself back from the brink and is clean and living well for the last 26 years. Absolutely brilliant, Debbie. For Debbie, the tension and stress generated from the survivors and victims was intense. She did not want or need to speak to him, but she wanted to have this on the record, that this one man had done all of this to all of these people, one man. And I wanted to make sure I shared that with you. Debbie was on a 40-plus year mission to find this man. So checking that off the list, today she focuses on living her life, finding balance between work, case things, personal matters, and being healthy. She hopes that people will build up the DNA databases so law enforcement can get predators off the street, keeping all of us safe. 
And, oh yes, murder bookies, you know how much I agree with Debbie. Debbie also shared that her introverted, behind-the-scenes brother wrote an impact statement, which is very out of character for him. He eloquently expressed his loss of his mother as a 14-year-old, so, so many people impacted. I reached out to Carol Daly, who played such an important role in these cases and was so helpful to these victimized women. As for input, Carol wrote, quote, Jane is an amazing woman and has led the way for victims to share their stories. She has lived a life of service, both in the military and civilian life, counseling numerous victims over the years to overcome their trauma. She is a very selfless person, and I love her for her strength, her wit, and her ability to step forward and make an impact, end quote. Well, I am honored to have been able to share Jane Carson Sandler's story, her books, The Positive Attitude, shared by so many survivors of the East Area Rapist. Well, Carol Daly says she's an inspiration, I think she's a trailblazer whose unselfish service helped create more survivor thrivers. And that is where I will conclude today. I will be back in two weeks with my interview with Jane Carson Sandler, and you will hear it from Jane herself. I can't wait to share this with you. She is so remarkable. It is such a privilege to have had this time with her. And that wraps up episode 82, second cast, Sisters Survivors, Frozen in Fear, The True Story of Surviving the Shadows of Death by Jane Carson Sandler and written with Jane M. William Phelps' book, She Survived Jane. So much to take in. If you care to make a donation to Hope Haven of Low County, the Child Advocacy and Rape Center in Buford, South Carolina, there is a link on my blog. There's also links to buy the books that I've discussed today. And here comes the announcement. My next book is Murder on Elm Street by Jeremy L. Lubbers, retired detective on this controversial case. When two teenage cousins break into a residence on Elm Street in Little Falls, Minnesota, a true-life horror story unfolds. More than 24 hours after the two teenagers lose their lives, Detective Jeremy Lubbers responds to a suspicious activity complaint at the same Elm Street residence, beginning a case that will forever alter his life and embroil his community and the nation in debate over how far people can go to protect themselves in their own homes. So we are going down the rabbit hole, murder bookies. Thank you for listening. I see you as you hear me. Please, please do it right now. Take a few minutes to leave an awesome review. It really matters. Share your thoughts with me at jill at murdershelfbookclub.com on X, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can join Patreon for $4 a month for our deep dive Zooms. Holy mackerel, do we have a lot to talk about. Spring designs are out on my Murder Shelf Book Club Spreadshop, so get your merch. Links are on my blog at www.murdershelfbookclub.com with my sources, photographs, show notes, our snack recipe, and wine pairing too. Always trust your gut and lock those doors and windows. I will see you at CrimeCon.
Written and produced by Jill. All rights reserved. Music by Carl Hosena and lyrics by Otto Harbach. Oh, <laughs>